Very, very important. Uh, turn the light on up here, if you would, Brother Rutherford, or Brother Sonny. I guess he has control of it in the back. Uh, Jesus gives us a parable in Luke, the 10th chapter, verse 25 through 37. Actually, there's a lawyer that questions Jesus. Now, at the end of our service tonight, we're going to ask for commitments. We're going to be taking some testimonies during our preaching. I want Brother Thomas to tell about last Saturday they went out visiting. Uh, Brother Brunker had an exciting week. Brother Brunker went and purchased a van on his own. He's been going, picking up people and bringing them to church. There are uh, <clears throat> some things that I think are a little alarming. I want you to hear this. You're going to get off on a negative start, I guess, but maybe we can end up in a more positive uh, mode. In 1990, our church averaged 285 in Sunday school. That's year long. 1991, we averaged 272. 1992, we averaged 264. 1993, we were averaging 250. Now, if you uh, look at that on a graph, it's a pretty straight line, but it's going in the wrong direction. And and this, this, quite frankly, this alarms me. It really does. I... I'm thrilled about what God is doing in Russia. I really enjoyed the presentation Sunday night Brother Showalter had. Such a moving presentation. And we looked at the offerings, that special offerings that were given to the two couples going to Russia. Uh, you gave a little bit better than $2,600 total to these two couples. I think that's great. I think it is fantastic. Uh, <clears throat> Brother Showalter mentioned that at General Conference, four missionary couples were presented to go overseas, and that the missions department said we have 33 other couples who we have cleared, but there's just no way to get them overseas. I, I saw a need... Brother Patrick had presented this program of uh, starting schools in Russia at our district conference. He called and talked with me about it. I asked him if he'd come to the district conference. This was last year, and he did. And, of course, our ministers began to pledge. I thought it would be good if we could send them over as, as AIM workers. And the reason why, because AIM workers, all you need to go over as an AIM worker, you need the, your pastor's approval, you need your superintendent's approval. And, of course, the approval of the missionaries that are residing in the country. And then, of course, you need uh, our foreign missions department's approval. But the funds, the raising of the funds, pretty much left up to you. You have to raise your own funds. Sister Shelley Clock went, recently went overseas, and, of course, we were able to help her. She saved a lot of her own money, and she had some of her relatives to help. So, in other words, this did not come out of... <coughs> the the uh, pockets of hard-working saints throughout our fellowship. In other words, it it's comes from a confined 
uh, area where people are concerned about uh, that particular ministry. Now, the reason why I wanted to see this done this way is because I felt that in Wisconsin, we could go right ahead, raise the funds, and get people overseas and overseas in a hurry. Uh, We have missionaries that were raising funds before Brother Nichols left. Brother Nichols has already gone over for one semester, or two semesters, one school year, and back, and ready to go back again, and some of these missionaries are still traveling. Uh, so I think, uh, you know, we were able to do this, and I, I really do appreciate the fact that our churches here in our state just rallied behind and said, we're going to do this. This time, he's taken with him 23 AIM workers. And uh, their, their ways have been, the, the funds have been raised, and, and they're ready to go. Now, it, it, this leads me to believe that there, there's a lot of money uh, that that is available, but on the other hand, it also leads me to believe that that uh, if if America is to be the bread box, uh, that is the the funds are to come from American pockets uh, to evangelize the world, then there is another need here at home, and that is that churches must continue to grow. And any church that is decreasing in attendance, normally they decrease in finances also, and we're not able to do abroad what we need. Now that simply means in order to keep on reaching out, we must also reach out at home to broaden the financial base here at home. Now please understand, it is wrong for you to look at a man's pocketbook before you look at his soul. And it doesn't make any difference how rich or how poor a man is. When we're praying for a person that needs salvation, that does not even enter into the picture. It really doesn't. I spent the night last Saturday night in L.A. And it was right around the corner from Brother Bernard Elms' church. It was the very first Christmas for Christ church that we had. Brother Elms' brother, Royce Elms, started this church. He was the first Christmas for Christ missionary. Uh, they have a bus in the back, and Brother Elms said, you know what we do every Sunday, we have a group of people committed to minister to the homeless. And he said, what we do every Sunday, we have a group of people that gather in our church, in our kitchen, they cook a meal. That's Sunday afternoon. We have bus workers that go downtown, and they pick up the homeless, and they bring them. We feed them a good meal, and we minister to them, and... and preach to them and pray with them, and then we take them back wherever they want to go. He said, we left the doors of the church open for a long time, and a lot of people came in and slept on the floor and around. But he said, after a while, people found out we were open, and they started stealing all the PA system and such, so we couldn't do that anymore. But he said, you know, Brother Grant, I believe, as much as I believe anything, that if Jesus was walking the streets of L.A., he would be just as much concerned about those people who will never give one nickel or dime in the house of God as he would someone who is rich. And he said, I feel a special burden. I will assure you that God's going to bless this group. He says, we never get one dime from these people. And it costs us dearly to do this. Uh, but, but nevertheless, they continue to do it. And he said, we have no, no uh, plans at all to, 
to stop. We're just going to keep doing this because we believe that this is what Jesus would have us to do. Now, what I want to talk to you about tonight, and that is about the CCC, or we use that as constant contact consciousness when we witness to people. But to go a little bit, a step further than that, sometimes a CCC simply means that, that you just ask a person, would, would you come to church? And maybe the person doesn't have transportation. They, they may not tell you that. But uh, would you be willing uh, to offer transportation? Would you be willing to go to the person's house and, and bring the person to church? Would, would you be willing to assist the person? Uh, now, th- this is necessary. Now, our bus ministry, Brother Sister Anderson in, are in charge of this. It's under our child evangelism ministry. Brother and Sister Thomas are in charge of this ministry. But this is what they do every Saturday. They go out. Brother Thomas is asking for workers this, this Saturday. That's what we're talking about. You know, we go door to door. But uh, all of you can't join this ministry, and we only have one bus now. In fact, our, our van just bit the dust. It, uh, you know, it, it, it needs a lot of work, and it wouldn't pass inspection. And we looked at it and said, well, I don't think we can take it over to right way and get them to fix it. I'll tell you, it costs a lot of money. We just don't feel that we can justify putting that kind of money in this vehicle. But what are we going to do? What are we going to do? Well, there was a parable that came to my mind, and this is the parable I want to read from Luke 10, verse 25. And behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tempted him, saying, Master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Now, this is uh, the question. You notice how the man asked the question. I'm amazed that the man asked the question that he did. You notice he uses the word inherit eternal life? (laughs) And that's exactly what you do. You know that? What do I have to do to go to heaven? I tell people, you inherit heaven. You become a son of God. You become an heir and a joint heir with Christ. Heaven is something that you inherit because you are born again and you become His Son. Now Jesus said unto him, What is written in the law? How readest thou? He answering said, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy strength, and with all thy mind. And thy neighbor as thyself. Now I don't know if you've really taken this and analyzed it. But I'm here to tell you. <clears throat> when this gentleman answered this. Jesus says thou has answered right. But that is a, that is a mouthful. If you go back to Leviticus 19. This is explained in Leviticus 19. And in Leviticus 19, <clears throat> there was a principle that had to do with the, the sowing and the reaping of the fields. There was uh, a principle that God laid forth to prove your love to your neighbor and to the stranger. The Bible says that you sow your field from corner to corner. I mean, everything is filled up. But when you reap the field, 
you do not reap the corners. In other words, you just kind of go around the corner and you leave that, that triangular section in the corner. And the Bible says that, that un, those unreaped corners are for the stranger and for the poor. And then, of course, he said, uh, this is the Lord talking. He says, when you reap the fields, he said, I don't want you going back and gleaning the fields. In other words, you go through it one time, and what you gather up is what you keep, and the rest you just leave there. And he applied this to this particular law, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. See, we sometimes think about a neighbor, and we think about someone next door. That's what this this man said. And notice in verse 28, the Bible says, He said unto him, Thou hast answered right, this do, and thou shalt live. Uh, love is not just a feeling. Caring is not just a feeling, but it's it's an action. It's something you actually do. The Bible says, and he willing to justify himself, he said unto Jesus, and who is my neighbor? In other words, who do I apply this to? Then Jesus gives us what we call the parable of the Good Samaritan. Jesus answering said, a certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho. He fell among thieves, which stripped him of his raiment and wounded him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now, I don't know if you've ever considered this. I think this is a parable of human life. The Good Samaritan is the human race. It was in the Garden of Eden that it was stolen from him. You know, it's, it's, it's an amazing thing, and I'm putting together a, a message on this. Uh, uh, it deals with the anointing. But it is an amazing thing when God made Adam and Eve and they walked in the garden that they did not realize their nakedness until after they had sinned. So obviously, when God made them, they were clothed with no doubt exactly what we'll be clothed with when we walk on streets of gold. In other words, the glory of God rested upon them, and they wore righteous robes. Because they never recognized that they didn't have on clothes till after they had sinned. The Bible says then their eyes were opened. In other words, they entered into a different dimension, a fallen dimension, in which that Shekinah, that shining raiment that they had, had left them, no doubt. And they saw themselves naked. So this is a parable not just about anyone, but it's a parable about the human race. And what the Lord's trying to do, He's trying to point out that, that every man that has a need, that's your neighbor. And how many people in this world have needs? Basically, when we look at the parable for what it's worth, everyone that's unsaved. You notice the Bible says, and the thieves left him half dead. The soul that sinneth shall surely die. But when man fell from his first 
estate with God, he did not completely die. But there was something that died inside of him. And the rest of his tenure on earth was to take care of the last half of that. In which death was to bite at his heels until it pulled him back down to the grave. Now notice what happens. And the Bible says, And by chance there came a certain priest that way. And when he saw him, he passed on the other side. Likewise a Levite, when he was at the place, came and took on him and passed by the other side. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was. He came where he was. And when he saw him, he had compassion on him. Now, I know that it can be argued that the, the certain Samaritan, in this case, was the Lord Jesus Christ who picked up the human race. But isn't it true that we stand in Christ's stead? You see this Luke 19.10, The Son of Man has come to save that which was lost. That's why He came. And when He departed, He commissioned the gospel into the hands of men. In other words, the same commission that Jesus received from the Father, I receive from God also. And the truth of the matter is, when Christians get to the point that they can't meet the sinner where he is, then Christianity is losing a dimension that God never intended for Christianity to lose. Some people just, quite frankly, they outgrow God. In other words, they just get so mature in God that, that they, they think they're too good they just really think they're too good. Let me tell you something. Until you get out where people are, it's hard for you to understand how people really live. You go out and you knock on some of these doors. You talk to some of these people. You can, you can go in a prayer room and pray. You can come for a three-day fast, but until you go where people are, you'll never get the burden that you need. You have to go where they are. And when he saw him, he had compassion on him. And he went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring in oil and wine, and set him, notice this, on his own beast. Now this is the world's first bus ministry right here. He put him in his own bus. In other words, put him in my own car. Now see, here's the situation. <clears throat> Several years ago, I, I talked with Brother Wayne Mitchell, and of course Brother Brunker comes from Brother Mitchell's church, so he's familiar with this, but Brother Mitchell, he had a large bus ministry, and he was, he was meeting the needs of a lot of people. All of a sudden, the state stepped in, and they started to, uh, inspecting all the buses and set up more rigid standards for the buses, and Needless to say, a lot of his wouldn't pass inspection. It cost too much, and he, get, he got to look at the program. The insurance was going up. He said, uh, we just can't afford to do this. But several people involved in the bus ministry said, we won't let it die, Brother Mitchell. And what they did, they went out and bought vans, their own vans. And the very children and parents that they were picking up, they continued to pick them up. After a while, this burden spread throughout the church, 
Now, 15 years later, they're still doing it, and they never dropped in attendance. And to my knowledge, the bus, the Brother Mitchell's church doesn't even own a bus. Now, they may own one, or I don't know, but to my knowledge, they own, they own none. And, and the people go out. But I've heard several people tell me, said, if you go to his church, it's not only Sunday morning now, but it's their midweek service, which I think is on Wednesday night, and then their Sunday night service. Almost every car pulling up will have a guest in it. I talked to Brother Mitchell about it. He said, well, the thing about it is when we, when we said we could no longer afford the bus ministry and people, people took that on as a burden, they not only said we will carry a burden and we will accept the ministry not only of inviting people to church but bringing people to church if that's what it takes. We'll bring them. It's amazing. Even people with transportation, sometimes you say, I'll come by and pick you up. It's amazing how that works. It really is. You know, and I got to thinking about my, uh, my past. And as a young child, I remember years ago, we moved from, well, actually, my dad came. My dad was in the service during World War II. He did not go overseas because of an injury uh, that kept him out. But uh, right after the war was over, my dad and mom bought a place just out of Henderson, uh, there on the highway going toward Tyler, Texas. And we moved into this house, and right after we moved in, there was a lady that came by from the Assemblies of God Church. A lady uh, that her name was Hildebrand. Sister Hildebrand stopped by, and she wanted to pick us up and take us to church. And she did. And... I remember years ago, I mean, when I was a, a real small child, my dad was in the service then, that we attended a, a oneness Pentecostal church. It was a slab building built out of old slabs from a sawmill. My uncle and my grandfather put it, built this church. It had no windows in it, just openings. Talking about bugs and heat and mosquitoes and... No electricity. Uh, we just hung kerosene lanterns, Coleman-type lanterns from the ceiling. I remember sitting in a corner on Sunday morning, and we had uh, a teacher by the name of Sister Vera Jemerson. Sister Vera had these little cards called Little Friends for Jesus. I don't know if some of you remember that. I, I mentioned that one time, several of you. Any of you remember those cards, Little Friends of Jesus? Raise your hand way up and see. Okay. This kind of dates all of you. That's still all right. But we had those. You know, not too long ago, I was in Henderson. I, I ran across this sister. And she said, you don't know who I am, do you? And I said, yes. I said, you're Sister Vera Jemerson. And she said, I used to teach you when you were this small. And I said, yes, I remember those little cards, those little friends for Jesus. This sister is still living for God. And... Uh, She's just a great lady. But uh, that was my first introduction. My next introduction after my dad was discharged from the Army was Sister Hildebrand picked us up. And we went to the Assemblies of God Church. And we went there for, I think, two or three years or more. Very faithful. Uh, at that time, uh, my mom was given 
some thought to the difference of doctrine. But, you know, the, the thing about it, you got to remember, at that time, the Assemblies of God Church, they were very, very uh, straight and disciplined people. I meant very disciplined people. If you're here tonight and you're from the Assemblies of God, I'm not saying that, that you're not straight. That's not what I'm saying. But, <clears throat> but what I am saying, and, well, let's put it like this. I remember one time we almost had a church split. I mean, we had... The pastor on Sunday night called a saints meeting and dismissed all the visitors. And the reason why is because one lady in the church cut her hair. And he says, we're not going to have this. Of course, that's back when many of the churches, the Nazarenes, and a lot of churches, I mean, they had a very disciplined life, a good standard of, of holiness. And this lady had cut her hair. And she stood before the congregation, a lady by the name of Sister Freeman. And she wept and cried. And she said, I went to beauty salon. That was my biggest mistake, she said. And, and she said, I got in the chair, and they, was going to get, they were going to give me a perm. And, and the lady got out the scissors and said, well, we just have to cut a little bit. And I, I said, I don't, you know, I think the Bible teaches against cutting hair. It was not anything they really stressed. But the, and she said, I think 1 Corinthians 11. I heard my pastor talk about this. And. They said, oh, just a little bit won't hurt, you know. So she let the beautician cut her hair. Well, I tell you what, you talking about coming unglued at the seams, the whole church did. I mean, we, 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 were, we all knew we were Laodicea then. You know, we just, wow, we're really, I'm serious. This lady stood up before the church. She came up from the pulpit. She said, I betrayed you and I betrayed God, she said. I feel terrible about this. And she wept and cried about it. And Well, what happened was we continued to go, though, and somebody else did the same thing, and somebody else did the same thing. Well, my mom was a little bit, you know, uncomfortable about what was going on in the church. And, and there was a church started in Henderson, Texas, by Doug Davis, Sr., you know, Doug Davis Jr. has conducted our camp choir two two different times. Brother and Sister Davis came to Henderson, and they had an old Greyhound-type bus. They were singing throughout the country, and God laid it on their heart. They came by one Saturday, and they said, we're going to start a bus ministry in this old diesel bus. And they stopped at our house, and they asked us to come. And we went. And my mom rededicated her heart to God. God began to deal with all of us children. And of course, we all started praying and seeking God. My grandfather, I told you about him being responsible for the church for some reason. I don't even know what happened, but he lost out with God, my grandmother. And of course, my grandfather and grandmother came back, gave their heart to God. And this is where, basically, we got our roots in Pentecost, especially oneness Pentecostalism. Somebody cared enough to knock on our door and pick us up on their bus. You know, when we had Operation Desert Storm just prior to that, you remember I stood behind the pulpit and I said now there's a 
young man, we received a call from his wife today. I said he is in one of the he's on one of the ships, one of the battleships out in the Persian Gulf. His wife called and said, Do you remember us? Yeah. Said, well, <clears throat> my husband, I think his name's Lester. His name Lester Lester Shields. And uh, I don't what was the girl's name, Jan? Monica Hill, Hilliard. And uh, I, I remember those those kids. I remember Mr. Shields. Mr. Shields was faithful to the Baptist church. He came out one Sunday, and I preached. He came by, and he said, I'm going to tell you. Oh, God, he said, the Lord has talked to my heart. I still remember. He said, this church is heavy in the Word. He never did come, but you know what? He let all of his kids come as a result of that. I want to check it out. I remember Monica coming. Monica had a sister. What was her sister's name? Can't even remember now. My wife would remember. But I remember one time vacation Bible school. I remember Monica received the Holy Ghost. This little girl talking in tongues. Holly. She talked in tongues and talked... And and I had I had the joy taking that little girl up to her door and telling her mother what was going on. She was still in the spirit, just quivering, talking in tongues. Praise God. <clears throat> now what we're gonna have to do now, please understand, take this in, take take this in the attitude in which I, I hope I'm giving it. I don't want to be, we got so many people that are so caring. And people go out every Saturday. People have been on the bus route, but the Capacho has been on the bus route for how long, but the Capacho? 15, 16 years. You count up all the hours that this man has spent. But you know what we're going to have to do? More of us are going to have to return to the real ministry of Jesus. Notice what he said when he gave this parable. He said, this do... And thou shalt live. This do, thou shalt live. The Bible says on the morrow when he departed, he took out two pence. And he gave them to the host, took him to the inn. Take care of him, whatsoever thou spendest more. When I come again, I will repay thee. In other words, what he's saying is, I'll bear the full cost of redemption. Now the good Samaritan, as I said, is Jesus Christ. But you see, that's our ministry too. You may say, well, I can't pay what Jesus paid. That is true, you can't. 
But I will be I will assure you of this, my friend. Whatever it costs you in this life to do the ministry of Christ, you're willing to give up that portion to do it. It'll cost you time and effort. It will cost you money. Which of these three thinkest thou was neighbor unto him that fell among the thieves? And he said, He that showed mercy on him. Jesus then said unto him, Go and do thy likewise. I think I could add to that this praise because Jesus had previously spoken, Go and do thou likewise, and thou shalt inherit eternal life. We've got some events coming up in the very near future. It's going to give you a golden opportunity to bring people to the house of God. We've got Brother and Sister Mormon are coming to be with us in our youth week next week. This is not just for the young people. But please, young people, all of you hear me. Invite your neighbors your friends. You see, the story doesn't just end when a man says, no, I won't come to church. Or no, I can't. But you see, the man continues to live through this life. And when he dies, according to Luke 16, he goes into hell. See, this is the seriousness of it. See, one man put it this way. The church can occupy, I say occupy, can populate either heaven or hell by their obedience or by their disobedience. Don't don't say anything. Brother Brunker had an exciting story. Brother Brunker, just stand up. Spend two or three minutes here talking to us what about last Saturday what did you do I preached in this church too when he was here so they know a lot about Pentecost brother Thomas stand up would you do this praise God you have in our church you're here because we're all here because someone invited us but because someone took the time they cared enough to come pick you up. And whether it's bus ministry or in a car, but I mean, they provide the transportation. Stand, stand to your feet. Would you do this? Would you look at all of these people? Praise God. Praise God. We've had so many people. Their lives have been affected. And if you take all these people that are standing up, I don't know how many people we have here in this church that are here as a result of some of these people now. Praise God. You may be seated. I just want to just point your attention. We're, we're going to close now. Luke 16, and I, I mentioned this. There was a certain rich man which was clothed in purple and fine linen, and he fared sumptuously every day. And there was a certain beggar named Lazarus which was laid at his gate full of sores and desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. 
Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores, and it came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried, and in hell he lifted up his eyes in torments. See, this is what we're talking about. This is the reason why that Jesus came. Now, I want complete order. I don't want anybody laughing. I don't want any kids talking. I want to ask Brother Richard Florence if he would to come. Brother Richard has come and God has given him a revelation of the oneness. He's going back. Many friends and relatives. Sister Sharon Kearns is going to come and sing for us. I want our ministers and elders to come. I know she's going to be singing. This is the reason why we want order. We want the ministers and elders just come and gather around Brother Richard. And uh, then as you see this young man who's come here, and he's already encountered problems with some of his family members and friends back in Puerto Rico. So I want you to keep this in mind. It's not going to be easy. But you who feel that God is calling you to a special ministry of inviting people to church and bringing people. I want you to come and stand on the other side over here. And we're going to all gather around.